Welcome to the Pearl Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message blesses you in a way that is inspiring, encouraging, and transformational. For more information about our church, please go to thepearlchurch.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Uh, We're going to start a new series today. And the series is called The Questions of Jesus, The Questions of Jesus. And um, the, I'll, I'll get more into this in just a moment, but the New Testament, in the New Testament, Jesus asks a lot more questions than he gave answers. And the reason is because sometimes when we come to the conclusion ourselves, it is more meaningful to us and we actually believe it in a, in a deeper sense. So it's like when I tell my children, do you think it's a good idea that you go and you torture your sisters, right? And my, da- my son will look at me and he'll say, well, yes. And, and then I say, do you think it's a good idea that you play that joke? And we ask our children those kinds of questions because we want them to actually, we want to see what's in them. We want to see if they know the answer. And many of the questions that Jesus asked are rhetorical for that reason. He wants us to move into uh, the answers ourselves. Now, I'll talk about that in just a second. So this year, uh, we just started this last week, our internship, our second year of interns. Last year, we had five interns. This year, we have 16 interns. Amen. Great group of young people all uh, being trained in the church for different things. There's Bible, prayer, obviously but then relationship community and some ministry training, ministry training, uh, really a phenomenal young group. And I had this revelation last week that all of the interns have a story and I'm chatting with a few of them and their stories are incredible. Uh, Some of them have to do um, with race, some incredible testimony. Some of it has to do with depression. Some of them uh, have grown up in the church and they became lukewarm. And so lukewarmness is something that can be just as difficult to break as anything else in life in your Christianity. There's some incredible stories in there. And so I just kind of pulled an audible and I said, hey, we're going to videotape a bunch of these stories. I want to show you one of them this morning um, that has to do with the question of Jesus that we're going to deal with today. Um, A young lady, her name is Alyssa. Uh, she's been in the church for about a year. She actually had a lot of questions about God, and God was speaking to her, and she had some struggles early on, and she's, she's had kind of, a, kind of a rebirth in her life, and that's what we all want in our lives, amen? We want to make sure that we're growing and getting strong in God. Is, is that right? Come on. So what I want to do is I, is I begin to bring the message. I want you to hear her story uh, this morning as she tells it, and uh, I think it will be a great backdrop for the message. So let's go ahead and uh, show Alyssa's story. never believed in God. I haven't believed in any, um, you know, higher power. I believe, I believe, you know, that when you die, you die. That's it. I don't believe in ghosts, um, spirits, whatever. I didn't believe in anything. Um, and to be honest, I don't, I don't think that it helped me at all. It hurt me because, you know, growing up through, you know, especially in high school when there's, you know, all of these, you know, temptations, you know, there's people pressuring you, peer pressure, whatever, all that stuff. I, I gave into it all. I gave in to the devil completely. He told me that I was ugly and I believed him. He told me I was stupid, I believed him. He told me I wasn't good enough, I believed him. Um, and all the while there was another voice telling me that I was good enough, but I, I ignored it. I blocked it out. I abandoned him and never once did he abandon me.
um, which I think is something beautiful because I turned my back on him and he never turned his back on me. He got me through everything. I'm alive right now because of him. I was lucky or just the universe. Like, I don't know. It was anything but God, basically. Everything was helping me except for God. And I guess the moment that I kind of accepted it to be God. Mm. I was sitting in a really gross basement with Grace. Um, it was like spiders all over the walls. It was a gross basement. We were in the garage, actually. It was even worse. Um, just, it, was, it wasn't a very nice place. <laughs> and she just looked at me. She says, why? Like, what's stopping you? And I said, I mean, in my mind, it's just, I'm stubborn. I'm so stubborn. Like, I just refuse to accept God just out of being stubborn. Probably because I just didn't want to admit to Kaylee that she was right. That's probably like 90% of the reason. Because <laughs> then I would have had to admit that I was wrong. <laughs> but I don't know. It's just, she asked me, she just said, what's stopping you? What's stopping you from going all in? And I had no answer. And he said, you're right. There's no reason that I should just, even if God isn't real. I mean, that's what I think at that moment. I was like, even if God isn't real, what's, what's the hurt in trying? What's the hurt in just jumping in all the way and seeing where it leads me? Because, you know, at this time when I still hadn't, you know, fully accepted God, I still loved church. I would come to church. I loved the messages. I loved the community. Um, I loved all the people. And so to me, what, there was no reason for me not to just try and, you know, try and accept a God, you know, try and because I'm, I'm a pretty, pretty logic minded person. So, I mean, the idea of God is it's hard to grasp, but I just thought of, you know, when I go to church, the very first time I went to church, I was in tears. There was, I was listening to worship music, crying. And there's no reason why I should have been crying other than the fact that I had felt God's love. All the times that I cried in church, I was feeling his love. I was feeling his hand on me. And she just asked me, you know, why do you think you do this? Why do you think you cry? Why do you think you love church so much? And that was, I, I couldn't think of any other reason other than the fact that God had touched me. Yeah, I, I mean, I literally cry in church all the time because I have this happiness that I've never experienced. I've dealt with sadness. I know how to deal with sadness. I'm used to sadness. I don't cry when I'm sad. I cry when I'm happy because I'm not used to it. I mean, all the time in church, I just sit there and I cry. During worship, during a sermon, I sit there and I just cry because it's so beautiful to be happy. To not kind of have this, this happiness that's not real, a fabricated happiness or a fabricated sadness. When I'm sad, I'm sad because of something. And when I'm happy, I'm happy because of God. Because God has me in his love and I have him in mine. Pastor Doug, you told us like there was like, you know, when you, um, when you brought like the homeless people to church, they felt safe here. I felt, I felt safe here. I felt at home. I felt like of everywhere that I've been, I belonged here. I had a home here, I had a family here, and it's all of you guys. Um, so I kept coming back and one day I just said, you know what, 
whatever. I'm going, I'm going all in. And since that day, I've never looked back. Even though I can't always see a future for myself, I know that he always can. So even when I don't want to push forward, even when I don't want to keep going, he's telling me that I was meant for something greater than where I'm at. That I can be so much more than who I have been. I can do so much more than what I've done. He, he sees something in me that I'll never be able to see in myself. And it is the thought that someone loves you that much and sees that much in you, it's a good feeling. And it's something to, to, to lie your head on when you're tired. It's something that even when I don't want to keep going, even when I have nothing left, he, he tells me, keep going. Even if it's hard, even if you don't want to do it, keep going. Because there's so much more for you. There's so much more than what you've gone through. And it's not always going to be like it. I know it now. Just a year later, I'm at such a different point in my life because I know that he has something for me. That even just this past year has changed me so much that I honestly, I can't even, I can't even imagine what it was like for me. It was, it feels like it was a, a different life. My name is Alyssa, and a year ago I was an atheist. Thank you. Where's, where's she at? Come here. Come on, let's give her a hand, all right? Good job, Alyssa. You know, you can be seated. You know, uh, we all have a journey, don't we? We all have a journey, and we all have our struggles. They're all different. And, and, and everybody's journey takes turns and, and shifts and changes. But the thing that never changes is Jesus, right? So Jesus is watching us from what the Bible calls true north or, or high noon in a sense. There's a scripture in the Bible that says, says that uh, there are no shifting shadows in God. What that means is that there's no place where, where there's a shadow. He's always right over the top. He sees everything. There's no place at 2 o'clock where something can hide over here or 6 o'clock where we can hide over here. Jesus sees us the way we are. He knows us from the inside out, and he loves us regardless, regardless of our struggles, our mistakes, our problems, our victories, because there's a lot of victories in life too. He loves us with our victories and our defeats. How many of you are glad that Jesus loves you for who you are? Come on, the way you are. That's how it's supposed to work. Um, okay, let me, let me jump in this morning. We have a new series called The Questions of Jesus. The very first question that I want to deal with this morning is who are you looking for? Let me give you a couple of verses here. The first one's in John chapter 1, verse 37. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. So Jesus is walking down the river. Two disciples are following him. Um, this is right after he re revealed who he was. This is a very important time in history. Verse 38, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked them, he said, what do you want? And they said, where are you staying? 
And his answer to them is, is really phenomenal because he says, why don't you follow me and find out? So it's a loaded question and it's a loaded answer. Because Jesus meant more by where are you staying, or they, they meant more by where are you staying than what they were saying. And he, he meant more by why don't you follow me than what he was saying. He said, why don't you follow me and find out? Life is a journey and the answers are a part of the journey. We don't get the answers immediately. We don't always just get to ask God and receive the answer. That's not how life works, and there's a reason. John chapter 20, verse 13 to 15. At this, she being Mary turned around and saw Jesus standing there outside the tomb, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying and who are you looking for? And so he says to the first group of people, he says, what do you want? Says to, he says to Mary, who are you, who are you looking for? And the question here basically is, which Jesus are you looking for? What do you want me to be? Who is it, who is it that you're following right now on the river? Who do you think you're talking to outside the tomb? What, what do you want me to be? I love Alyssa's story because she, she knew God's presence. I think most of us know that God's presence is there. And she felt his presence, and she was asking questions all through her teenage years. And said, you know, where, where are you, and why am I going through this, and is it supposed to be like this, and why have I made this mistake, and all this. But there's this question, who, are you, who is it that you want me to be? This is the first thing that Jesus asked. Now, when you look at the New Testament, we find that, that he gives us way more questions than he does answers or mandates. He allows people to come to their own conclusions so that they can receive it at times. And I think he's a good, he's a good father, so he knows that, that if we come to the conclusion, sometimes we're gonna receive it and live it quicker than if he tries to tell it to us, right? So just like with the father and the son and the kids, he wants us to come, come to the conclusion. Now, this is, this is only amplified when you do the research because Jesus asked 307 specific questions in the New Testament he was asked only 86, and he only answered three, which we'll get to later. But he was asked 307 questions. And when you do the math, it looks like this. Jesus is 40 times more likely to ask a question than he is uh, to give you a direct answer. And he asks all kinds of questions in the Bible, and that's how he started his ministry. As a matter of fact, the very youngest age that we see Jesus in the New Testament is the age of 12, and he's taken off, and his mom and dad can't find him. You probably know the story, but he's in the temple at 12 years old, and he's debating with the priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they're blown away because a 12-year-old is trying to teach them something about the scriptures. They don't know what to do with him. His mom and dad come find him after, after thinking that he's been kidnapped or lost. They find him, and this 12-year-old Jesus walks out, and they're like, where were you? And he looks, he goes, why, why are you upset? He goes, didn't you know that I have to do my, this business in my father's house? Looked up to his mom and dad at 12. Didn't you know I needed to be in my father's house? And he left them. And, and the Bible says that Mary actually had to go away and contemplate these things. See? See, see there, it's better to contemplate the question. I, I would like to, I'd like to propose something to you today. I think it's, it's good to stop and contemplate the questions that Jesus is asking. Because we're gonna get more out of the questions than we are sometimes just demanding the answer. So what happens is we pray and we want an answer, Jesus doesn't give it, and so we get frustrated. It's because he wants us to, to contemplate the questions. I'd even go so far as to say it this way. I would say that we should stop trying to demand the answers and we should start living the questions. Because this is the way that these two disciples started their journey. They're following him along the bank, 
And they said, hey, where are you staying? Right, where are you staying at? No, I just want you to keep in mind that these men, uh, as, as Hebrew men, Jewish men, they had been learning who the Messiah was going to be for generations. By the time a, a young person was 12 years old, they had to memorize the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. And part of that memorization process was so that they could recognize with all of their elders the Messiah when he showed up. And so generation after generation learning that God's going to show up one day and he's going to stand here and you're going to be able to ask him anything you want to ask him. And Jesus, there he is and he's got his back to you and he's walking down the river. I mean, it's, it would be nice if he just walked up and said, what can I do for you? But he doesn't. He's got his back to them and he's walking away. And they, say, they, say, they, say, they say, teacher, teacher, hey, where, uh, so where are you staying? Marriott? DTC Sheridan, we used to have services there. Rough. <laughs> where, where are you staying? He didn't, he didn't turn around and say, do you, do you know who I am? Do you realize you could ask me any question that you want to ask me, and that's all you can come up with? And do you realize that one day there's going to be a New Testament, and I'm going to record it, what you just said, and it's going to be known as the dumbest question <laughs> ever asked God for, in all of eternity. I'm going to write it there, and billions of people are going to read it. Did you know that? He goes, do you know who you're talking to? I can answer any question that you want me to answer. I can tell you what happened with your parents. I can tell you what happened with that sickness and that cancer. I can tell you why I allowed for you know that season of your life where you went through abuse. I can answer all of that for you and all you can come up with is where he's staying. But he doesn't do that because he knows that they, they have, they're standing in front of God, the Messiah. He knows that. But can I just tell you that the questions that you have that are, that are so real and so deep, the things that you struggle with the most, the things that you wrestle with when no one else is around, they're so deep in you. If Jesus stood in front of you and said, what do you want to know? I promise you, you wouldn't even be able to get the words out. You would just say, I don't know, where are you going? <laughs> and then he answers him and he goes, I'll tell you what. Why don't you just follow me and find out? Because the answers are in the journey. Christianity is in the questions. Destiny, purpose is in the questions, living the questions. There's one poet, one poet, and I, I, I love what he said. Um, he said this, he said, I want you to live the questions now because then someday in the future, without even knowing it, you will live your way into the answers. That's Jesus. Why don't you just follow me and find out? Because I'll help you. I'm going I'm to show you. I'm going to take care of you. Um, so here are the questions of Jesus. I'm going to do 12 questions of Jesus in 12 weeks. It'll go right through heart for the house. And we'll do a couple, a couple of questions that are very apropos for that season. And then it'll take us right up to the holidays. And then we're going to do the journey of Jesus to the cross. I think it's going to be a great fall. But my question to you is this. It, who is Jesus to you? And, and if he was standing here today, what would you want to ask him? Like, what, what is that deep thing inside of you? What's the questions that nobody, no, you can't ask anybody else? See, when these guys, uh, they stood there in, in front of the Messiah and they were speaking all in code, right? Christians do that a lot. They speak in code. It's, I, call, I call it Christian code. It happens a lot. You know, I've told you some stories. It just happened again the other day. It happens a lot in coffee shops. You know, you walk into a coffee shop and, and you wonder if it's owned by a Christian because they have, a, they have some little Christian symbol somewhere and, and they, you order your coffee and, 
and, uh, and they say, have a blessed day. And you go, no, you have a blessed day. <laughs> and now, now it's like, are we, are we brothers? <laughs> I will thank you very much. And we, we, we speak in code, so, so they're, they're having their code moment. And, and what, what happens is, is that what Jesus wants us to do is recognize what are we really asking. So I want to give you four or five things based on the time here on what is it that we're really asking. Because when those two gentlemen were following Jesus and he gave them that, that answer, there was actually something else. And when Mary was standing outside the tomb and everything had failed in her eyes, she didn't know where Jesus was. The body was gone. Everybody's upset. They're all crying. And here's this stranger. And he says, who, who is it that you're looking for? Because if you remember this from, from Easter, if you're looking for the Jesus that's in the grave and doesn't fulfill any of his promises, I'm not him. I'm the Jesus outside the grave who fulfills all the promises in due time according to my will. Which Jesus do you want me to be? Who are you looking for? And why are you looking for the living among the dead? Because there's some things in life that we pursue that are just dead. They're going to be dead. They, they don't produce anything. I love, she made a statement uh, about, uh, about her life. She said, it didn't do me any good. There's some things that just aren't going to do us any good. So which Jesus do you want him to be? Do you want him to be the Jesus that, that, that breaks his promises? Do you want him to be the Jesus who doesn't back up his word? Do you want him to be the Jesus that is separate and not involved, you know, in your life? Is, is Jesus just up in heaven with a, with a big spiritual clock and the clock is counting down until the end of time and then he just makes all these decisions about our life? Are we looking for an uninvolved Jesus? Because that's not the Jesus that I see in scripture. There are some things that Mary wanted to know. There are some things that the disciples wanted to know, so let me give you a couple of these and we'll be done this morning. Number one, they wanted to know, are you him? Are you him? I, I love stories, uh, I love stories about people who go on journeys to figure out who God is. I, I, love, I love, there's a book, um, it's, a, it's a bestseller now, it's called The Case for Christ. And uh, uh, written by a man named Lee Strobel, who I've met and been with a couple times. He's an incredible guy. And um, he was a journalist, and he set out on a journey to disprove not only the existence of God, but the lordship of Jesus. He set out on this journey in his life to disprove it. He was, he was very detailed in his thinking. He was a journalist. He put all of his skills together. And the more he pursued the truth, the more he discovered, I think this guy might really have been God. And then he wrote a, a book called The Case for Christ. One of my youth ministry heroes, his name was Josh McDowell. Now, some of you old school people will remember Josh McDowell. And just as a side note, just because I feel it right now, how many of you just love uh, and confess that you are an old school person? I'm going to put my hand up. Thank you very much. I want to I thank Nike uh, for bringing out the Cortezes, the Cortez tennis shoes. Um, we were watching Back to the Future the other day. And my son or my daughter looks down and she says, he's got my shoes on. I said, well, that's because the best always comes back, okay? The, the 80s were the greatest. Anyway, so, so what happens is this, is that, you know, are, are you really him? And, and Josh McDowell was searching in, in science to figure out if, if scripture was real and if he was really Jesus. And the more he studied and the more science and the more archaeology that he did, ultimately he had to give up because he discovered through all of the evidences, all of the archeological evidences, 
that this man must have been God. And so now he's written all kinds of books and he fills stadiums and he, he actually owns some of the original manuscripts. They're amazing. Things that he studied, the more you pursue the truth, the more you find that you're on the path to know Jesus. I love these kinds of stories. Are you really him? Very, Verily, verily, I say to you, Jesus answered, John chapter eight, before Abraham was, I am. That's why, they, that's why the Jews, they, they tried to crucify him because he was saying that he was God. I am is a, is a Hebrew term for God. He said, I am. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, whom all things from everything exists. There's one Lord, and look, his name is Jesus Christ. Are you really him? And Jesus began to do miracles for them, and they figured out that, that it really was him. Number two, they wanted to know, can we go with you? Can we go with you where you're going? Not just to your hotel, but, but what are we doing? Where, where are we headed? John chapter 14, uh, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, people oftentimes, they want to... They want to follow Jesus in this way. They want him to give, we want Jesus to give us directions. We don't know the way. We don't know where you're going. So how are we going to find the way? He goes, I'm not just the way, I'm the truth and I'm the life. Because if you just want a direction, I can say go this way, but if you go this way, it's not going to do you any good because if you don't have me living inside of you as your Lord and Savior, what happens? You'll go in that direction, but, but there's nothing inside of you to sustain the level of purpose that I'm pointing you towards. So when you try to live, by the way, this is why Christians get frustrated. This is why they don't make it because they want to live a certain way and go a certain way, but you've got you've to know what Jesus says. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life. So the way can only be sustained by the truth, which has to be internalized. It's in me. I want to live in you. I don't want to be around you. I don't want to be in front of you. I don't want to be waving a flag at you and flashing a light at you and say, come on, come on, come on, come on. You're going the wrong way again. What's wrong with you? Right, this is the way a lot of Christians live. What's wrong with you? And we think Jesus is over here flashing us with a flasher in our eye. Hey, 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 hey. No, Jesus is not saying, come this way. He says, I'm the way. He goes, but I'm also the truth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word of God came down to earth and dwelt among men. Jesus came here, he says, I want to live in you. First Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 16. Did you not know that you're the temple of God's Spirit? And he wants to dwell in you. We are not just following a sign. We have a living Savior inside of us who's guiding us and leading us. And that's what's great about Christianity is that when, when Jesus takes control, it means all you control freaks are not in control anymore. God's got so much that he wants to do, and if it wasn't for you, we would do so much more. Can we just please not try to be in control? Just let it go. People try to be in control of their destiny, try to be in control of their job, try to be in control of their finances, try to be in control of their relationships, and ultimately, down the road, somewhere along the way, we live ourselves into the answer, and that is that we really should give up control as fast as possible, because God has so much more that he wants us to experience in life. He's the way, but he's the truth, and he's the life. Number three, they wanted to know can we be a part of your plan? 
I mean, we, we, we kind of know what you're here for because we memorized all the, all the Bible, right? So can we be a part of it? The whole, you're the king thing. You know, we want to sit at your right hand, all that. Can, can we be a part of that? Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things are going to work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, right? God says, yes, you can. I have a purpose. Matthew 6, 33, my wife's life verse. But seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and everything else is going to be added unto you. Romans 8 is about purpose. Matthew chapter 6 is about priority. Some people want the purpose, but they don't want to prioritize it. Some people prioritize things, but they do it without purpose. Jesus says, if I'm living inside of you, and we're doing this together, and, and I've given, you've given over control to me, you're going to experience purpose, and you're going to prioritize your list. Trust me, that when people get purpose and priority, and they marry those things on the cross with Jesus, life changes. It was with a guy last night, he was telling me about how he wants, how his job, his career, and all this stuff, and he says, I've done everything that I wanted to do, and now I have all these questions. I looked at him, I said, that's because you need purpose. And he said, you know, somebody gave me a prophetic word, a couple of prophetic words, and they kind of haunt me a little bit because I can't get rid of them. I said, really? I said, wow, what'd they say? I'm called to the mission field, I'm called to, to ministry, I should be preaching. And I said, you know, if it wasn't true, it wouldn't haunt you. I said, I said, but you've got the kind of a good life over here and, and you understand that you were made for something over here, but when you find Jesus and you take purpose and you take priority and you lay them over the top of each other in Christ, life just changes, man. You know, you, you might quit that great job and just go to the mission field. I, I said, I'm going to Africa next year. He goes, I'm in. I said, wait a minute, hold on, hold on, I, hold on. You know, it's like $3,000. He goes, I'm in. You know, I was like, well, can I borrow it from you then? Because I'm, I'm in, I'm going, I'm going. Uh, he says, I'm in, I'm in. Because there's something about priority and purpose. Can, can, we, can we be a part of your plant, Lord? He says, yes, but you have to embrace my purpose. This is why I loved what we did last week, and we're going to do it a lot more. I loved serving the city and, and giving backpacks to 400 children and, and cutting the hair of little children and watching them laugh and praying for people on the sidewalk and praying for people and just walking around and loving and telling people that God loves them. I love that, that, that purpose thing that happens when Christ is in control, when we prioritize everything the way that it's supposed to be. I mean, we prioritized all this money last year to do these outreaches and every time we do one, you're writing the check, you're, wow, that's a lot of money. And, but then you watch what happens in people's lives. So yeah, we can be a part of it, but you gotta embrace my purpose. But that only happens if, if I'm in living in you and you let me have control. Because then you're living the question. You're not demanding the answer. You don't know how it's gonna work out, but you know that it will. And you're excited to see what Jesus does. There have literally been times where something is totally crazy and I don't know, if, I don't know how it's gonna work out and I just start to laugh. Like, what are you laughing at? Oh, I don't know. It's just it's going to be good, though. <laughs> don't know how this is going to happen, but it's going to be good. And then there have been times where I've also been in tears. Amen? What are you, what are you crying at? I know it's going to be good. I know it's going to be good. <laughs> Lord, give me faith. Number four, are you going to leave us? Are you going to leave us? One of the great promises of God is that he will never leave you he will never forsake you. Because here's what he was doing. 
Jesus was saying to them, I am going to die on the cross. I'm going to leave you. But in three days, I'm going to resurrect myself. And there, and there, there wait, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. So you're saying you're going to leave us. We've been waiting for you for a couple thousand years and you're going to leave us? You said that you were the king and so we're ready. We're ready to like, you know, be kings with you or something. Like it's Narnia, like we're four kings. <laughs> he's like, no, you, 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 he's like, what, what is wrong with you, Peter? You, no, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go away and I'm gonna, because if I don't die and if I don't resurrect, then everything I said was a lie because I told everybody I'm going to resurrect. So I got to die and then I have to be resurrected and then everything I said is true. I got to be faithful to my promise. But what, what are you going to do? Then you're like, you're going to go to heaven. And he says, no, listen, John 14, but I'm going to do something for you. The advocate, the Holy Spirit will be sent by my Father, whom the Father will send in my name, and he's gonna teach you all the things, and he's gonna remind you of everything I've ever said to you. I'm not gonna leave you. I'm gonna come to you in the form of the Holy Spirit. And then we get to, then we get to verses like in Romans chapter eight. I'm almost done, Romans chapter eight. Now listen to me, if you've ever had a bad day, I mean a really bad day, you know, not like I-25 was bumper to bumper, and you're a guy and you're hungry. That's not what I'm talking about. If you ever had a really bad day, a really bad week, when you've had to carry or wrestle with something so significant that in the natural you didn't know if you were gonna make it through, it's verses like this that become real. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present or things to come or powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. See, when you understand that he's never gonna leave you or forsake you and all the promises are true and he's here, right? He's here right now. Then you never have to worry if you're ever gonna be alone. They're not gonna leave you like a family person left you or you know someone else left you or abandoned you. You know, for those of you who have had that experience, that he's not going anywhere. And number five, then that's where we look up at God sometimes and we just go, you know what? I don't know if we have what it takes. I don't know if I can do this. And he understands you better than you understand yourself. One of the great things about scripture is that scripture understands the human condition and what we really need. Because the Bible says in life there's going to be trials. You're going to have victories. You're going to have defeats. You're going to have your answers um, along the way. It's okay. But scripture, Jesus understood the human condition. What do we really need? What do we need to get us through? Look what Jesus said in John 14. Peace, I leave with you. He didn't say money I leave with you. Now that would be nice. That would be nice. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give you, uh, not, not as the world gives, but my peace. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. In other words, you're going to feel sometimes like you don't have what it takes, but I'm going to give you peace. You're going to be okay. 
One minute you're gonna be afraid, the next second you're, you're gonna have peace. One minute you're gonna be discouraged, and the next minute you're gonna have peace. One minute you're, you're gonna be confused and lost, and the next minute, even in being lost, you're gonna have peace. That's what we need. And I love this in Philippians chapter two. For it is God, everyone say it is God, who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's God, it's not us. I wanna pray for you this morning. So we'll wrap this up. Please quickly stand to your feet. Let's, uh, uh, let's wrap it up. You can get out of here, grab some coffee and some treats. Have some fellowship as you, as you leave today. But if you wouldn't mind, um, if you would just bow your heads with me quickly here and, and close your eyes just for a moment. The reason why this happens in church, by the way, is so that we can just narrow our senses down just to a couple of things. God's voice, your voice, and my voice, and let everything else go away. So bow your heads, close your eyes, and just hear me on this. If you've been in a situation lately and you need peace, you need the peace of God that surpasses, as the Bible says, your own thoughts, your own understanding. If you have been asking God, where are you and who are you?